Good morning. Rise in freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. How are we all feeling today? It's Monday. I know. You guys feeling kind of festive? I see Studio 314 is. What's up, John? How you doing? Good morning, Joni. Nice to see Floby Tenderson here as well as Somniferum75. You guys ready to get this show on the road? What? What do you mean, no? You guys, you need to get yourself some Founding Flavors coffee over at the AP for Liberty shop. Get yourself up bright and early. Feeling good today. Hope you have a wonderful day. If you're not, you will by the end of the show today. We've got lots of great content for you. Alex Jones restored to X.com, formerly Twitter, and the crowds went wild. And the mainstream media went, some were happy, some were not happy. I think Klaus Schwab is really mad at us because he came out, the head of the World Economic Forum, you know, the guy who says, live in the pod, eat the bugs. He came out and specifically, explicitly condemned libertarianism. Yeah. It feels like we're just winning all over the place. And certainly we want to spread that love around, don't we? Because we want to make sure that everybody's feeling good today. You know how to do that? Click that like button, baby. Oh, make daddy feel so good. Click the like and subscribe to the channel. If it's your first time watching and listening to the Wake Up America show today, you got to subscribe so you can come back tomorrow morning. Join us Wednesday morning, Thursday, Friday, Monday through Friday from 7 to 9 a.m. Yes, we know. What do we do? We watch the Wake Up America show. Yes, we do. From 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time. Click the like and subscribe so you can come back and join us. You can also text the show anytime, night or day, 573-319-1586. Again, the text lines are open all day, every day at 573-319-1586. Ready to rock. Okay, Senator J.D. Vance made some headlines over the weekend, especially with an interview that he did on Meet the Press. He sat down and talked about what needs to be done when it comes to Ukraine. He answered questions about banning birth control, and he talked about um, uh, media bias, which I thought was really good. So I've got some of the clips here, uh, and I'm going to play those for you, and we'll go through that. We'll have a little conversation about what J.D. Vance was saying from Ohio. Then we're going to play at, seven, at or excuse me, at 7.30 a.m., we're going to talk with John Miltimore. He's the managing editor, or excuse me, editor-at-large, for the Foundation for Economic Education to talk about Alex Jones being restored to x.com. We're going to talk about free speech, media bias, Elon Musk, etc. It's going to be a great interview. You don't want to miss that here about 25 minutes from now. It's Erz, Erz Mommy joining us for the first time live here today. What's up, Erz Mommy? First time here. Glad to have you. Hope we can earn your like and subscribe today to the channel. She says, who cares what Klaus wants or thinks? He's an ass hat. Yes, he is. But here's the thing, it's the reason why I think it's interesting, because when he comes out specifically and says that there's a problem with libertarianism, when he's attacking you, that means that you're winning, because there's that old, was it, Gandhi statement, where he says, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. So they've been ignoring us. Now I think he's kind of laughing at us, maybe even attacking us. So we're almost to the stage of winning. Good God, things are looking beautiful. Merry Christmas, Kevin. I'm not Kevin, I'm Austin Peterson. Uh, but uh, yeah, we'll play that clip a little bit later. Er is my dog. She says, his name is Muffinhead, but I refer to him as Er. I don't get it, but it's fun and it's funny. 
And so is the Wake Up America show. Good reasons to stick around and hang out with us today. Errs, mommy, muffinhead. How about we call you muffinhead? We're glad to have you here with us on the show and make some friends today. Uh, Javier Malay becomes president of Argentina. Another reason to be happy. We are just winning. 1776 will commence again. It's the first time in my life, in my entire history as an American, an America-loving freedom fighter, that I have ever been jealous of another country's president. Because no matter how bad things got here in the United States, I never said, oh, wow, well, I wish that we had the president of Argentina or something like that, right? Because when I was a kid, I was born during the Ronald Reagan era, and the UK had Maggie Thatcher, and people would look at Maggie Thatcher and be like, oh, she's pretty good. But she was no Ronald Reagan, right? But now we're looking at Joe Biden, and it's like, I'll take me some Javier Malay anytime. Well, Maggie Anders, she is also with the Foundation for Economic Education. She's actually been living in Argentina and reporting on what's been going on with the election of Javier Malay. Javier Malay was officially inaugurated over the weekend, and Maggie will be joining us live from Argentina this morning. Isn't that exciting? Talk about a great show today. So we're going to talk to Maggie, and she'll talk to us about what Javier Malay has been doing. Uh, apparently, he has already cut nine government agencies. Oh, my God. I know. I keep hitting the, the applause button, but it's just there's so many reasons to be happy, right? And I know that the left is freaking out. I think I, I, think I saw that like the outgoing vice president of Argentina was like flipping off the supporter, supporters of Javier Malay. Uh, as they were leaving office, which are just like, good, go, get out. <laughs> and we're all happier for it. Uh, welcome to the show. Glad to have everybody here. We've got a lot of great content for you today. You do not want to miss any of it. So before we get to um, before we get to the uh, interview about Alex Jones and Elon Musk, we are going to get to that soon. But I wanted to play some of these clips. This is some pretty big news. Talking um, uh, Senator J.D. Vance. This isn't. Um, Meet the press, excuse me, I said that earlier. It's live on CNN, where he's talking about Ukraine policy, uh, and I think it's worth a listen. Let's take a listen here. And you, and you oppose aid to Ukraine. Ex explain your position. Well, so first of all, Jake, I think it's possible to have separate debates. In fact, congressional Republicans tried to force an Israel alone aid package just a couple of weeks ago that Democrats blocked in the Senate. Uh, so we can have separate debates. I think that we need to have separate debates. But on the Ukraine question in particular, Everybody knows, everybody with a brain in their head, Jake, knows that this was always going to end in negotiation. The idea that Ukraine was going to throw Russia back to the 1991 borders was preposterous. Nobody actually believed it. So what we're saying to the president and really to the entire world is you need to articulate what the ambition is. What is $61 billion going to accomplish that $100 billion hasn't? You have to remember, Jake, Ukraine is functionally destroyed as a country. The average age of a soldier in the Ukrainian army right now is 43. That's tragic. That's older than me. I'm 39. If this thing goes on a, a little bit longer, the average age of a Ukrainian soldier is going to be older than you. And then a year later, it could be a wolf blitzer. That is a tragedy. What does it look like? I don't like this age graph. I'm, so, I'm sorry, Jake. Go, go. I'm 54 for those one. I do. I, 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 yeah. We are getting to a place yeah. where we're going to be functionally on the hook to pay for Ukrainian pensioners to rebuild the entire country, right. we mm -hmm. need to bring the killing to right. a stop. And that's what American leadership should be doing, not writing more blank checks to the war. And, and you I love it, actually. Excellent. That's 
something I completely agree there with Senator J.D. Vance. He says that Ukraine will likely need to cede some territory to Russia to end the fighting. He says that he is opposed to sending more aid to Ukraine because he doesn't believe the country will be able to overpower Russia. Duh. And he questioned why sending billions in aid to Ukraine is going to help the country at this point in its war against Russia, considering previous aid has yet to end the war as well. Heirs' um, mommy, Muffinhead, says, how about an American veteran aid package? Makes much more sense than what we're doing right now. An exit plan, says Joni Rankin. Yes. And Muffinhead also says, no money to any other nation. Can I get an amen? America first, baby. America first. Now, Senate Republicans initially blocked a measure to provide aid to Ukraine and Israel last week due to a lack of border provisions in the bill. The $111 emergency supplementary package that was requested by Biden also included aid for the Indo-Pacific region and funding humanitarian aid for Gaza. The United States has been warned by the Biden administration that they're going to run out of money with for Ukraine without congressional actions by the end of the year. And you know what? God bless it. It's time. It's time to stop. We should have never gotten involved in this in the first place. This has been a monumental waste of American time um, and American treasure. Thankfully, no American blood yet. But we did hear last week from Alex Jones, I believe, who broke the news that the Defense Secretary uh, of, of from the Pentagon. Lloyd Austin has essentially threatened the American people that if we do not send more money, then we are likely to get involved in that conflict and we will be sending American troops. Uh, no, thank you. I think not. Uh, I'd like to say absolutely not. Uh, let's continue, though, because they, they had a really wide ranging conversation. Senator J.D. Vance was also asked about the possibility of banning birth control. What? I want to protect as many unborn babies as possible. I also think we have to win the trust back of the American people. And one of the ways to do that is to be the truly pro-family party. I think we are. We've got to carry that message forward and actually enact some public policy to that effect. Does, is birth control part of that policy, uh, empowering women to be able to make those decisions before they get pregnant? Look, obviously, people need to be able to make those decisions. I don't think that I know any Republican, at least not a Republican with a brain that's trying to take those rights away from people. Uh, but I think it goes deeper than that. I mean, where, I could provide a list for you if you wanted. Well, OK, <laughs> not not anybody I talk to, Jake. But, but look, I, I think the more important question is I talk to a lot of people, a lot of young families who want to have babies. They can't afford mortgages. mortgages. Yeah. They're terrified about health care expenses. We've got to answer those questions for people. Uh, we've got to have. A Are there really Republicans who want to ban birth control? I don't. I mean, he says that Jake Tapper says that he could provide a list. I'd like to see that list. I mean, listen, I, I'm willing to change my mind if I'm wrong, but are there any Republicans of any consequence in office anywhere who actually are advocating to ban birth control? Now, I know that there are some extreme religious types who think that there absolutely should not be birth control, but have they called to ban birth control through government? I haven't seen or heard that. And I... I listen and watch from the darkest, most, you know, weirdest corners of the internet. And I don't think I've ever seen any Republicans out there calling for banning birth control. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. If there are, just let me know. So anyways, um, J.D. Vance was also asked his thoughts about President Do you really Trump. have no concerns that Donald Trump might try to abuse his power if reelected? No, Jake, I don't. Look, the guy... Pause for just a moment. This is the new, um, this is the new Democrat line, is because they're terrified of Donald Trump winning re-election next year. I read a really good piece in the Wall Street Journal this weekend over this about the um, 
the new Democrat line to label Trump an authoritarian and that if he takes over the White House, that he's going to become a dictator. Never mind that the president of the United States, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, was reelected four times, had 75% support of the American people, and still could not become a true dictator at that time. Donald Trump, universally reviled by his opponents, won't have a majority in Congress, doesn't, won't have 75% of the support of the American people, like him or hate him. There's no way, the deep state will be completely aligned against him. There's just, there's still checks and balances in the government, and the other agencies are more than happy to check Donald Trump's power when he's in office. There's no way that he becomes a dictator. I'm sorry, it just doesn't, it's not going to happen. And I say this as somebody who is always on the sniff for dictators and dictatorships as a libertarian Republican, and as somebody who's criticized Donald Trump in the past, I just don't see that happening. But this is the new Democratic line, and this is what they're going with now, is that if Donald Trump wins, he's going to become a dictator. president for four years. We had peace, we had prosperity, we had wages rising faster than inflation. Joe Biden has been president for three years. Now the average Ohio family pays 10,000 more to afford the same standard of living. Uh, the idea that Trump is going to be radically different than what he was four years ago is, is just preposterous. He was an effective, successful president. Uh, I think he will be an effective, successful president again. That's why I've endorsed him. And I, and I think this desire to make the election all about the past is indicative of the fact the Democrats don't have much to run on. I think Republicans do. It's a great answer because uh, give it up for J.D. Vance. I'm becoming more and more impressed by him. Uh, despite some disagreements. But I'll say this. I think J.D. Vance has evolved uh, his views of Donald Trump in much the same way that I have, because he was a very much a Trump critic before he changed his position. He's now endorsed Donald Trump. But I think that Senator J.D. Vance recognizes that there were some very real, legitimate pro-America accomplishments that Donald Trump had when he was president of the United States. And I think a lot of Americans are now looking back wistfully at the past talking about the best, and they're looking back at what Donald Trump was able to do and how much better shape the country was in under President Trump and are pining for those days of Christmas past. Uh, we will be visited by three ghosts. One of them will be Donald Trump of Christmas past, maybe Christmas future. And the only uh, the second president to ever serve non-consecutive terms. The other one was who? Who? Huh, huh, huh. I know what you're thinking, Camelia. I know you know the answer, but who's going to get it first? Who was the other president? And we'll say other president as if we're assuming Donald Trump will win. Who was the other president who served, or the only president who has served non-consecutive terms? I'd love to hear your thoughts this morning on that. You can send us a text on the Wake Up America show at 573-319-1586. Again, that's 573-319-1586 on the text line. Let's hear from you today. And what's going on in your minds? Okay, so Senator J.D. Vance making a lot of headlines these days as I was researching him this morning, preparing for this. Uh, I love this story from Politico. They're trying to make this sound like it's a bad thing, especially with the headline. This is how you know the mainstream media hates us. The headline is J.D. Vance supports notion of investigating media bias. Okay. He supports the notion of investigating media bias. Okay, so that makes it sound like he's going to start going after, you know, CBS or NBC or ABC, right? Uh, who was the first person to get it? It was, of course, my smoking hot redheaded libertarian wife, Stephanie. Good job, Steffi. Of course, you know that. So the lamestream media or the legacy media reports that headline. But here's what, it, here's what the, the real story is. So J.D. Vance said that there's a need to look seriously between collusion 
uh, between the press, tech companies, and America's national security apparatus. After an aide to former President Donald Trump promised to come after members of the media that helped President Joe Biden rig elections. Okay. Well, what is J.D. Vance really talking about there? Well, what he's talking about is how big government and big tech colluded together against our First Amendment rights and actually violated the Constitution in order to suppress the freedom of speech of, well, people like myself, people like my smoking hot redheaded libertarian wife. My wife, Stephanie, was named by Senator Angus King of Maine as someone who should be suppressed on Twitter.com. That's correct. Because my wife, Stephanie, um, she was a supporter of Angus King's of Maine's opponent, uh, Senator Eric Brakey, who was a Republican running at the time against him. Senator Angus King took her, her name, put it on a list and turned it over to Twitter and asked Twitter to suppress her or potentially ban her for being a quote unquote out of state troll. The government officials tried to silence my wife's speech online, which made me kind of jealous because I was kind of hoping that it my name would be on the list, but no, it's my wife that gets all of the credit. It's because she's cute. <clears throat> uh, yes, sir. The uh, the Wake Up America show streams live every Monday through Friday, 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time. Matt Unruh, he got it in by a hair, Grover Cleveland, with the text message. And Caleb Vanderfelds came in at just right under uh, Matt Unruh, but still you guys got that answer right. That's the substance of Missouri v. Biden, right, says Somniferum 75. Yes, that is true. And we are looking forward to hopefully seeing Senator J.D. Vance help uh, his fellow Senate Republicans on that issue. Missouri v. Biden, that's right. Free speech online. Speaking of free speech online, Elon Musk says Alex Jones can return to X, reversing his stance from last year. It's a big one. And let it be known on the record that I always opposed the deplatforming of Alex Jones. And I always said that and believed that Alex Jones would be the canary in the coal mine, that what they would do, what the left would do to Alex Jones, they would do to all of us. And certainly after Alex Jones lost all of his ability to speak online, many other uh, people were deplatformed in the same way. I don't remember any leftists who experienced deplatforming. No one has been deplatformed or censored or suppressed as much as Alex Jones. And my argument has always been that we should have a, a space where people can be free, free to be wrong. Because even as Alex Jones said over the weekend, he, when he was asked by Elon Musk what um, about the Sandy Hook statements that Alex Jones made, Alex Jones came out and said he was wrong, that he he falsely reported that the uh, that the shootings were fake, and he said that he did it because he had heard it from someone else. He also said that he was not a trained reporter, uh, and that he's so he you know he basically argued that he had made a mistake and he was wrong, and he has apologized. And you know what? That's how it's supposed to work. And I think Elon Musk, uh, I made a good point too when he says that because he was asked by uh, someone. Uh, I think he was asked by Ed Krasenstein, who is this prominent leftist on Twitter. He was asked the question in the spaces that they had yesterday, which was amazing. It had like Vivek Ramaswamy and Andrew Tate and Elon Musk and Alex Jones and all these huge names and faces of, of the online right who were involved in the spaces. But Elon Musk was asked about how to prevent the spread of misinformation on Twitter. And Elon said that, well, our community notes feature is open source and open source. What that means essentially is that anyone could see the source code 
for how community notes are um, are created, who is involved in creating the community note, uh, and it can be replicated so that people who are curious about who is actually fact checking tweets, um, what their what their what their bias is, where they come from. So it's all this transparent process of community notes. I think Elon Musk actually has it right. And so far from what I have seen of community notes, they've actually done a terrific job, even correcting people that are on my side of the spectrum. So for example, the Libertarian Party got a community note this last week over statements that were posted regarding the Pearl Harbor attacks on December 7th, 1941. They got a community note and a fact check after um, uh, Scott Horton, who is, uh, I think he's the head of antiwar.com, uh, Scott and, and a, a libertarian author um, made a statement about the attacks on Pearl Harbor, essentially blaming the United States for the attack, right? And then they got community noted. So even people who are on our side of the spectrum are going to get fact checked by this thing. And I think that makes for a healthy debate. And that's really how it should be. And I always said I knew that what they were going to do to Alex Jones, they would do to the rest of us. But Senator J.D. Vance is right. We need to have congressional investigations to determine just how deep down the rabbit hole it went in regards to how big government and big tech colluded against our rights. Because the argument that, oh, it's a private company and they can suppress or censor who they want, that would apply if the government were not actively involved in telling the platforms who to suppress. That isn't the case, right? It's it's not a private company that can do it at once because the government was colluding with the tech, big tech companies in order to silence people like you, people like me. I don't know about you. I'm currently suppressed on Instagram.com right now, okay? And why am I suppressed over there? Well, I took a video that already existed on Instagram from a Holocaust account that was trying to educate on the Holocaust. And what did it show? It showed a reenactment of Nazis walk, you know, going down the street in their tanks. Uh, and I, lay, I reposted the video with a different song and said, and it wasn't a copyright strike based on the music that they took me down. They took me down for glorifying hate groups, and they've they've suppressed my account so that the only people who can see me on Instagram are people that already follow me. So I can't my account can't grow, and I've been losing hundreds of followers every month that I've been suppressed over there on Instagram. Why did they suppress my? Well, the funny thing is, is what I labeled it as was a group of George Washington University students marching in favor of Gaza or for Hamas or whatever, right? Because of like a month ago, this is what was happening in Washington, D.C. All these leftist students were out there calling to gas the Jews, death to the Jews, right, supporting Hamas's terrorist attack. So all I did was just repost a video of Nazis walking down the street and with the song, The Boys Are Back in Town. Now, Eric Dondero, who's kind of, he's um, somebody that I, I've been trying to get on the show for the last few weeks. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to do it. He's, he's not super technological, uh, but he was actually a former Ron Paul staffer. And there's an interesting backstory to Eric that I'd love to share with you all sometime, another time, not right now. Um, but uh, he was saying that he thought that I got taken down because I posted the boys are back in town, that music over the top of it. But that's not what Instagram said. They said it was because I was glorifying hate groups. Actually, I was criticizing hate groups. I was criticizing the Nazis. I was calling the left Nazis, which just goes to show you, you're allowed to criticize the left online. You're allowed to talk smack about the, about the left online. But you're not allowed to do so effectively because that video, by the time they took it down, had over a million views. You're not allowed to criticize. You're allowed to criticize the left. You're just not allowed to do it effectively. You're, you're allowed to 
ridicule the left. You're just not allowed to do so effectively. So I fully support congressional investigations into uh, media bias, and I fully support Senator J.D. Vance of Ohio digging in to what President Joe Biden did in regards to the Hunter Biden laptop as well, suppression of speech online. We're going to talk about that when we get back with our friend J.D. Miltimore. Don't go away. We'll be right back on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Good morning, Rise and Freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. I hope you had a wonderful weekend. It was a great holiday weekend. Stephanie and I, we enjoyed some time spent together. Watch this new World War II documentary that's out on Netflix. It was really fun. And then we were headed to Walmart to get some more last-minute gifts when all of a sudden Alex Jones, Elon Musk, Vivek Ramaswamy, Jack Posobiec, basically everybody on the right was on this two- or three-hour Twitter stream. They call it spaces where people gather together. And everybody was talking about it while it was going on. But then there was only really one moment that everybody remembered from it and everybody's talking about today. And that moment of Vivek Ramaswamy. Not to have children. That's all I'm saying. Elon Can Musk this, is promoting an optimistic pro-human This future, water that the science and evidence in the background. shows is real and that we need. Gentlemen, I have to yeah, go. Yeah, you I, can I, see. I, I just want to be sort of, uh, yeah, exactly. I want to be clear about yeah, my position. I'm, I'm super pro-human. What is that I'm water running humans. in the background? Uh, Somebody's you know, humans in America, got a hot humans, mic situation in, going on here? Somebody's got their thing Asia, open. Asia, and everywhere somebody else. Somebody's got their phone open <laughs> in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, Vivek. Vivek, that's, that's your phone, Vivek. I'm not able to mute you. Vivek. Uh, <laughs> go ahead, Elon. Um, Sorry about that. So, um, <laughs> well, I hope. Vivek Ramaswamy, sorry about that. I forgot to mute his phone as he went in the bathroom. That what he didn't realize is that we actually have video footage of it as well. He didn't know this, but there actually was video recording of him going into the bathroom with his hot mic. Take a look. Here it is. There goes Vivek. See him walking up. Indeed, it is for all the people who will be able to share in the uh, celebration, especially will be the Queen's public appearances. <laughs> Obviously, that was not Vivek Ramaswamy. That was the naked gun. A great movie. Good morning to our friend John Miltimore joining us live. He's the editor at large of the Foundation for Economic Education. Good morning, John. How are you, sir? Hey, doing great over here, AP. How about you? Doing good, John. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Elon Musk restores Alex Jones back to Twitter slash X. Your take. It's overdue, man. He, you know, Alex Jones, you know, he should never should have been banned to begin with. Um, and I remember when, when it happened, right? And I remember thinking, like, where is it going to stop? That you know, like I know, I know Jones had some wild, crazy takes out there. We, you know, we don't need to go into the whole lawsuit thing. But but once you start down that path, I said it's not going to stop with it, with Alex Jones, and it didn't. Soon that you had Harvard, you know, epidemiologist Martin Kaldorf getting getting suspended, you know, during during the uh, in 2020 like this is how it works like once you once they get one guy they start to focus they just want to they want to broaden it and um it really does open the dam to all kinds of suspensions and bans and 
Um, it's horrible for free speech. And, you know, like getting Musk and Alex Jones and Vivek uh, on a on a call together. I, uh, uh, what is it? What, what do they call it on Twitter? Help me out. What do you mean? Spaces? Like when spaces. Yeah. Yeah. Get them on spaces. Let let them talk. Listen to them. Let people, you know, and, and if somebody's saying, you know, insane stuff, well, you can listen to it and make up your own, own mind on that. Uh, make up your own mind there. But we've really entered like this crazy place right now. Right. And it, 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 like, look at what, what's going on at these Ivy League schools at, at Penn and Harvard. Um, and like th- those presidents, like I don't have a lot of sympathy for them because, you know, as people know, like they're getting one of them already resigned. You know, I think there's going to be more resignations. Um, they, they were trying to stand on free speech ground when, when you know, on this topic of, of genocide in Israel. And uh, they don't have any free speech ground to, start, to, to stand on. That's, that, that's what it comes down to for the last decade. They've been they've been, you know, prosecuting people, you know, punishing people for microaggressions in this stuff. Now they're trying to defend like, oh, well, this is free speech under our code. They look like fools, but the, all of this is bad for free speech. And, and, and so we, we need to get back to this culture, a culture of free speech. Right. I'm not talking the First Amendment. I'm talking about a culture of free speech where we listen to each other. We debate each other. We, we, we stop trying to fire people and shut people up um, and, and getting Alex Jones back on X. Um, this is a step toward that. Yeah, I completely agree. But don't you think just from a tactical perspective here, John, that it's probably only going to change once the left has been hoisted by their own petard? Yeah, no, like I was talking with a friend about this and it it was kind of over this issue going on at the Ivy Leagues. That was his point. And um, there's some truth to that. Like, right, like like this is sort of like a revolution that is, is devouring its own. Um, and once this is weaponized against them, they might actually start to appreciate, you know, why, why free speech is important, um, and, and, and why fostering a culture of listening to each other and not just firing people. Um, this is sort of like mob-like anger, right? And we can all look at things like say genocide is bad. Like we don't want to condone genocide. Also, we see how it can be stretched and, and how you can turn something like is evil genocide Saying like, oh, you know, if if you're not on favor with this, or if you're wearing the wrong symbol, they stood for genocide, or they stood for this, and and soon like you get this mob fury, and most people in the mob don't, you know, even know what they're they're against. They just know like like they're the they're the enemy. We get the pitchforks and torches out, and and we're gonna we're gonna bury you. Um, that's ugly stuff, you know. And we we got to be very careful about you know weaponizing. You know, people might stand. They they might have bad ideas. They might they might have symbols we don't agree with. But but. You know, kicking people out of universities, firing them, kicking them off social media like that's that's more fascist like behavior than, than than some of these people themselves represent. Right. Like that is there's a very fascist element to that. When we just start to let let the fury and anger and, and we use we, we want to silence people and, you know, debate them, like like defeat their ideas. Don't tolerate them. You don't even have to be nice when you do it, right? You don't have to, you know, be friendly necessarily in, in your discussions. You can say, I think your ideas are trash. I think they're dangerous. And you can be d- direct. Like, this doesn't have to be, you don't have to pussyfoot around with it. But just silencing people, we've really, you know, that's, we culturally, we've just sort of looked at that as normal and, and we, we accept it. It's not, it's dangerous. Completely agree. And I love that word, pussyfoot. Let's give it up for John Miltimore joining us live right now. He's the editor-at-large at the Foundation for Economic Education. We're talking about Elon Musk restoring Alex Jones back to X. If anything, I think that this is really going to show, too, that the free market in action to an extent because 
obviously Elon Musk is facing attrition of advertisers, people who don't want to be associated with X because of Elon Musk on one hand, and then two, perhaps they don't like Alex Jones. It's going to one, show whether or not there really is a marketplace for ideas where you truly can pretty much have, you know, almost anything goes. Elon Musk was very clear in his X space that they would comply with US law in regards to speech. But beyond that, you know, an anything goes approach that can lead to wonderful things, but it could also lead to disaster too, right? Well, it could. And the advertiser issue is real. Like now, the good thing is Eli or Elon is is the the richest man on the planet. So he he is insulated from some of that. The same way like Jeff Bezos is insulated from the Washington Post crappy, you know, earnings like like a, a non-profitable paper. Um again they're they're doing layoffs though too. So they're not completely insulated from it. Um but we, we you know, here's the thing. I know some libertarian friends of mine they beat up on Elon because sometimes he gives ground on free speech and so forth. And and, and they're right on principle. But the, the truth is, Elon is trying to, he needs to, to run a business, he needs to survive, right? And he needs he needs advertising revenue to, you know, like no, no businessman, I don't care if you're a billionaire or not, you don't want to bleed cash, okay? He paid, what was it, $40 billion plus for this. Um, you, you want a successful business. Um, and so he's got to, you know, dance to some extent too on, on these things. Um, we need Twitter. We, you know, X, whatever you want to call it, we need it more than I ever understood. Because once you start to look behind the curtain, you realize there, there's a lot of forces out there, and they don't want a medium like Twitter where people can a free for all, like you're saying, where we can just kind of talk about ideas where where they can't really control the the narrative, right? Um, there's a great effort to do that, and we we saw it, you know, during the pandemic in a way we never saw it before. Um, and there's a lot of people that want to institutionalize that, and you you have agencies like the FBI, the you know CIA. Um, it sounds crazy to talk like that, right? Like what? You're talking about federal law enforcement agencies that are embedded at these? Yes, they are. The FBI was all over Twitter. And my response to people all the time when they complain, oh, I got crappy ads on Twitter, they start blessing. I'm like, oh, you, you, like, you like Twitter more when the FBI was controlling. And they really were. They were all over it. Get them out of, of, of communications, of media. It's dangerous. And, and it was happening, you know, surreptitiously. For, for years, we had no idea, like all these agencies that, that they were influencing media to this extent. No kidding. And John, uh, a great point of view. Uh, the, you are absolutely dead set correct when you talk about the government controlling what was happening on social media. There was this uh, institution, uh, it's a nonprofit institution that ostensibly claims it has no bias and it ranks websites, news websites based on their own criteria of how much misinformation or disinformation puts out. There's this group called NewsGuard. And I actually became familiar with them a few years ago when they contacted me about my website, The Libertarian Republic, to offer me uh, a ranking score based on you know how accurate my articles were. And they had some question questionnaire that I had to fill out. And I didn't know who they were. And I thought to myself, Okay, well, I've got nothing to hide. I'm, I'm actually, I have a very strong editorial standard for my website. And so I didn't worry about them, you know, offering me a ranking. I was like, you know, if they offer me a good one, great. If not, who cares? Or maybe they'll point something out that I didn't know. So, you know, I get a ranking from NewsGuard. And uh, at first it was, you know, a fairly high ranking. And I thought to myself, oh, okay, this is good. You know, it goes to show that I have good editorial standards and that despite my biases, that I still have, you know, proper ethics when it comes to journalism. 
But then as the years went on, they started sending me very odd requests about some of the content that was included on my website, which was, uh, you know, things about climate change or th things that were in dispute that I absolutely backed up. And they started lowering my ranking based on what I saw as uh, uh, non-objective views about some, some of the major issues. Well, this institution apparently had a contract with the Pentagon to identify false narratives regarding the war between Ukraine and Russia. So like you said, it's not just the FBI that's trying to shape opinions online. It's our own Department of Defense. It's really wild. You know, I, I, let, I read the piece you're talking about. Lee Fang had an article in the, in the New York Post. Uh, and like you, I've been, I've been familiar with NewsGuard for years. They contacted us, um, you know, in, in a previous, you know, organization I was at, trying to do the same stuff. Oh, we want to rank you. Uh, we stopped cooperating because you can kind of see what, what what they're trying to do, um, and and they're not they're not after they're not in the truth business. Okay, like 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 don't even don't even entertain that idea that they're in the truth business. They are like Li Feng had it right. They're in the government narrative business, and they're they're looking to say, okay, are you complying? You know, with that? Are are you do you check the box on climate change during the pandemic? If if you said the wrong thing about masks or lockdowns. You were going to be punished, and you could you could see like this from the beginning. I could see this is very sinister stuff. Now the revelation that the Pentagon has a seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar contract to these folks, and they're gonna they're gonna rank you bad if you if you share misinformation about you know Ukraine. This is this is terrifying. Um, we we don't we we don't need the Pentagon out there working with 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 these businesses to to go and root out stuff that they don't like. And that's exactly what they're doing. And there is this whole apparatus out there. And you could kind of see this building up like back in 2015, 2016. Um, there's this huge war on misinformation. And, and but, but it has nothing to do with misinformation. We had more mi misinformation in 2020 and 2021, I think, in, in the, those two years than we did over the last 50. But most of it was coming from the government. And, and th they were saying stuff that was just, just patently not true. But then when you tried to contradict it, they wanted to shut you up. And, and to me, there's a lot of things that are wrong right now in the United States. We have our fiscal issues. We have all kinds of you know, political issues. This, this crackdown on, on speech and this organized effort to suppress ideas and, and to punish people who, who are not towing the line on the narrative, I think it's more dangerous than anything else. It, it, is, it is Orwellian. We use that term sometimes a lot today, sometimes correctly, I think sometimes incorrectly. Absolutely, it's the right way to describe it. And Lee Fang in that in, in the article that talked about the contract that the Pentagon had with NewsGuard, he uses Orwell as his opening, um, it, it, the lead of the story, and he makes a point like not all censorship has to be government directed, right? Now, this sense it is kind of government directed, but we have the First Amendment in this country. So, so what we're seeing, the Feds aren't trying to say, okay, if you say that, we're going to put you in jail. What they're trying to do is use private companies to do their dirty work for them. And and they're losing that battle right now. Like there's some good lawsuits going on, but they're not going to stop. And and so we need people to wake up to this. Um, and I think you might you know have it right when you say they, you know the left needs to be hoisted on its own petard a little bit, and and to feel the repercussions of this before they start to say you know what maybe maybe free speech is the right way to go, and and just you know getting getting mobs to you know condemn people or or trying to get organizations to silence people, maybe that's not the, the right thing to do. And maybe it's also bad politics because it's pretty creepy to Americans. One of my former office mates when I worked at Fox Business Network, Monica Crowley tweeted yesterday, Alex Jones is back on X. 
Javier Malay has been sworn in as president of Argentina. Harvard's board is meeting to discuss canning their communist anti-Semite president, President Claudine Gay. Trump is leading in all the polls. Um, sounds like the good guys are winning. John, how do you feel about all that? I love that tweet. No, I no, I am going to say I, I don't I don't look at Trump as a good guy anymore. Like, I think he is a guy that is going to like and maybe I'm going to lose the audience here. Um, I, I've gone. been through that boo. now for a while. Hit you know, I've button. been through it for a while. I think there's better choices. Hey, I, 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 I'll, I'll say this. I'll, I'll kind of, you know, I, hey, I like, kind of, I like the, Vivek the Ramaswamy too. Hey, he, he's the best candidate right now. The Republicans <laughs> have, if the election was today, I, I like RFK jr. I think he's saying great stuff. I, I just, oh, I want him to get here. some more media Whoa. attention. Yeah. No, he, he'd be, he'd be my guy. You've and, completely um, lost the audience now, John. <laughs> hey, he's, he's the one candidate that is really talking about, you know, taking apart the central banks. Um, he's, he's one about dismantling the CIA. He's, He's he's really to me the most base candidate out there. Now he's got no. his flies too. I'm not going to pretend pretend he does. <laughs> You're hilarious, John Miltimore. He's the editor at large, the Foundation for Economic Education. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners or plug before we let you go today? Hey, just like to plug feed. You know, check out all our content on on feed.org, fe.org. My own Substack is called The Take, and uh, I publish there almost every day. So go, you know, check out my stuff too. We will do that. John Miltimore, thank you very much for your time today. Happy Monday with Miltimore. We appreciate you. Merry Christmas, sir. We'll see you next week. Hey, thanks a lot for having me on, AP. Take thanks care. Thanks very much. You guys think of John Miltimore. Did he lose you there at the end? <laughs> what do you guys think? I feel like the good guys are winning. Well, listen, now, Donald Trump is not a perfect candidate. I, I personally, being more libertarian, I'm upset about the spending. I wasn't a big fan of Operation Warp Speed. There are a lot of things that Donald Trump did that I completely disagree with. I will say, however, that he is, by and large, much better than Joe Biden. And if he's the candidate next year, I will be voting for Donald Trump. And certainly the economy was stronger and we had more peace. I think that the conflict between Ukraine and Russia might not have even happened if we had President Trump, because we would have had a strong leader who probably would have been able to negotiate a deal. But that's not how things happened. Will he become the second president in American history? Who serves non-consecutive terms? What do you guys think? I'd love to hear your thoughts. You can text the show at 573-319-1586. That's 573-319-1586. Send us your text messages again anytime, night or day at 573-319-1586. That's the text lines. In about uh, 10 minutes, we're going to hear from Maggie Anders. She is also affiliated with the Foundation for Economic Education. She's going to join us live from Argentina this morning, where she's talking, going to be talking to us about the inauguration of President Javier Malay, which I'm super excited about. If you guys are not, have not been following what's been going on in Argentina, boy, you have been missing out. Javier Malay, the first president elected as a libertarian, an open libertarian, Austrian economist, which I think is fantastic, truly exciting. He is definitely one of us. This video that got shared over the weekend really made me smile. Here's preparations begin for the Argentinian, Argentinian Central Bank funeral procession, procession with Javier Malay as its executioner. Take a look at this. So here's the Central Bank. Everybody, these are all the people gathered around outside. Look at, look at this, they've got the... The funeral wreath for Argentina's central bank. Yes, you love to see it. God, why can't we do that here? 
Why can't we have that here in the United States? Well, God bless it. Why must we have our Federal Reserve? I just, I hope that I live long enough to see the day that we do this in the United States. Don't you? Wouldn't you love to see it? Now, remember that, that uh, the promises that Javier Malay uh, made that when he becomes president of Argentina, he was going to get rid of, for example, I mean, I'm going to translate here for you, uh, departments like the Ministry of Tourism and Sports, Afuera, Ministry of Culture, Afuera, Ministry of the Environment and Sustainable Development, Afuera, Ministry of Women, Genders and Diversity, Afuera. Ministry of Public Works. Afuera. Even if you resist. <laughs> Ministry of Science, Technology and Innovation. Afuera. Ministry of Labor, Employment and Social Security. Afuera. God bless him. Ministry of Education. Indoctrination. Afuera. Ministry of Health. Afuera. Ministry of Social Development. Afuera. The thievery of politics is over. Oh my God. Sending a thrill on my leg. Well, guess what? Promises made, promises kept. Less than 24 hours since taking office, Javier Malay has reduced the size of Argentina's government by more than half. Yes. I know, Javier Malay. So, what has he gotten afuera? Transportation. Gone. Uh, Office of I don't speak Spanish. Gone. Office of Health. Gone. Office of Gender whatever. Gone. Education. Gone. Culture. Gone. Science and technology. Gone. Office of Labor. Gone. Office of Recycling, I think. Gone. Sports and Tourism. Gone. And De Carrillo Territorial gone. God, you love to see it. So exciting. You're so exciting. It's the Wake Up America show. There's so many reasons to be happy. I mean, I know that it's the holiday season and we're supposed to be in a good mood anyway. But when you see things like this happening and you see all the good news happening around the world, aren't you just like, don't you just get super excited to see it? Thank you. Yes. Well, I have a I have a thank you to offer to our friend Muffinhead Urs Mommy joining us live this morning. Just became a monthly sub supporter. Thank you, Urs Mommy. We are grateful to have your support. Just an FYI, there are some benefits that you get from becoming a monthly supporter like that. Urs Mommy, you didn't even know this, but you now get a twenty percent discount at my APForLibertyShop.com store, which I guess now is a good time to talk about that real briefly before we have Maggie Anders come in here and join us. Oops, what did I do? I forgot to forgot to put the little super coffee thing in there. There it is. Okay. <laughs> so just an FYI, for those of you who don't know, if you are a monthly supporter of the Wake Up America show, you do get a 20% discount on all of our products. Just accept coffee, FYI. We do have uh, separate discounts for coffee buyers. But any of the other shop, uh, items in the shop, for example, uh, the shirt that I'm wearing right now, you can get the Don't Tread on Me classic shirt for 20% off now, Urs Mommy. Uh, all gun laws are an infringement shirt. We've got a ton of awesome merchandise over at APForLibertyShop.com. Sweaters, hoodies, um, uh, American flag pants. Uh, we have a really cool new candle, says 
smells like Killdozer. Any of the other items other than coffee are, are 20% off. We offer bulk discounts for coffee um, over at APForLibertyShop.com. So thank you for becoming a monthly supporter. I appreciate that. If you become a monthly sub- supporter to the show, um, you can. Well, thank you, Urs Mama. You, uh, I appreciate that. Um, we do accept contributions at our website, wakeupamericashow.com support, and you can become a monthly subscriber over there as well. Just an FYI, if you um, want to get your 20% discount code, you, all you have to do is send me a text message with your name at 573-319-1586. That's 573-319-1586. Send me a text message with your name and I'll compare that to the record and then I'll send you back your 20% discount code at ap4libertyshop.com. So if, you do, if you're someone who is already a monthly subscriber and you don't have your code, just send me a message and say, hey, Austin, FYI, I don't have my 20% discount code. Go use it. Get all the cool merchant freedom merchandise that you can at the shop. Shop around. You even get 20% discount on our awesome metal signs, which you can customize to say things like taxation is theft or, you know, truth is treason and the empire of lies or Ron Paul was right. And all of our custom metal signs are available to you, our monthly subscribers, at 20% off. All right. I got to run because Maggie Anders is waiting for us all the way down in Argentina to report on what's happening with the election of Javier Malay. Lots of great reasons to be excited. It's a wonderful day in America and around the world. Thanks to our next guest who's coming up on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Stick around. Será difícil, pero lo vamos a lograr. ¡Viva la libertad, carajo! ¡Viva la libertad, carajo! Oh, my goodness. Uh, good morning. Welcome to the Wake Up America Show. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America Show at wakeupamericashow.com. All right. Well, Javier Malay becomes the next president of Argentina, the first openly libertarian president in the history of the world. I don't know. There's a lot about this I don't understand because I'm not from South America. I'm from North America. And frankly, I'm just absolutely thrilled to introduce to you for the very first time on the Wake Up America show, my next guest who's going to know all about it. Her name is Maggie Anders, and she's been reporting on the inauguration of Javier Malay on the whole election, actually. So she's got all the insider info, and she's joining us live right now. Good morning, Maggie. Thanks for joining us all the way from where, where are you at today? I am actually back in Atlanta, Georgia. I landed two days ago. I'm a little bit sick from all of the international travel, but I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Glad to have you, Maggie. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. So what has been the response to the inauguration of Javier Malay, would you say, from Argentinians that you've met with? So I was actually in Argentina about six months ago when I first really started hearing all of the the chatter about Javier Malay. And I was shocked because every single young person I ran into was obsessed with Malay. And you and I both know young people are not like that in America. And so I started talking to people in America about it. And they were like, no way. There's no way that young people in Argentina love Malay and love liberty and are reading Hayek and Rothbard and Mises. And I was like, no, you're wrong. I'm right. Like you will see. And so I went back um, maybe a few days before the election this time. And everyone was a little bit more superstitious this time around. And they wouldn't say that he was going to win. 
But again, every single young person I talked to was really excited about Malay. Um, and so once he finally won, my boyfriend and I ran to the hotel where he was giving his speech. We celebrated with thousands of Argentines in the streets. It was amazing. People are overwhelmed with, with like excitement, but also there is still a feeling of um, caution, cautious optimism, because Argentina's economic situation is so bad right now that they're about to have to go through a period of severe hyperinflation in order to correct all of these mistakes that previous administrations have made. So people love Javier Malay and they love him for his authenticity, but they are also, you know, they understand that the reality of the situation is that things are going to get really, really bad before they get better. Maggie, is it true that Javier has already kept some of his promises in shutting down entire government <laughs> institutions? Yes. <laughs> his first order of business was to go from, I think, 21 ministries to nine, which is just incredible. I mean, we're over here shocked, right, Austin? Like, what? There's an actual libertarian in office. Um you know, and they're actually doing what they said. Yes. So Millet got famous because he was an economics professor and would get invited to go on to TV and radio shows like this one, and they would get clipped. And so he's been saying that he wants to do this kind of thing for years, like way before he got into office. Um, so people voted for him for his principles. They don't want him to come in and play ball and be nice. They want him to come in and take a chainsaw to the ministries and get rid of all of them. So that's exactly what he's already doing. It's so exciting. I, I am just, yeah. I'm thrilled, but there are a lot of people are already heaping criticism on, on his head, Maggie. And there have been some, not everybody is universally thrilled. We know that the leftists, socialists, communists, et cetera, that they would be skeptical of him, obviously, because they are in total opposition to our ideas. Right. But I'm I'm curious um, what your thoughts are about the allegations that are being made against him from people on the right who are saying that he's already caved to the climate cults in that he they're saying that he will be a signatory to the Paris Climate Accords. Is there any truth to that? You know, I'm not sure. The first time I heard that was maybe late last night. But I know that people have been, you know, accusing him of being a WEF puppet or saying that he's just going to give a bunch of money and funding to Ukraine and Israel. Listen, we don't know yet. OK, he hasn't actually I don't think he's actually said anything as far as the Paris Climate Agreement. I don't know. Um, I would not think that that doesn't make sense for who he is as a person and his principles like that seems way out of line. Um, so I wouldn't suspect that that would be a real thing. However, I do know that he believes that Western countries should kind of align against communism, but I'm not sure how much that involves um, bringing in economic policies and restrictions and um, making war pacts like that doesn't seem consistent with his own ideology. Agreed. And here's the thing. I, yeah. I am seeing some people who are pushing back against that narrative. For example, this morning on Twitter, Ian Miles Chong uh, tweeted that 
the media is trying to throw cold water on Javier with this headline that he, he's committed to the Paris Climate Agreement. But here's what Ian says. He says that all Malay did was send a new representative to the ongoing conference to replace the old one. That doesn't mean he's staying in the accords. Half the people at the event don't support measures to ban fossil fuels. Yes. No decisions have been made yet, but he's already eliminated somewhere between nine and 12 departments to shrink the government, which, I mean, <laughs> I mean some people are just never going to be happy. There's never enough I, for some of us, right? Yeah. And here's something interesting. That theory might actually make sense because the media has been trying to coin him as some ultra right wing guy. Um, he's so scary. He's so conservative. And that narrative just doesn't work on voters anymore. So what's the best way to get rid of his support? Throw in seeds of doubt that he's actually your guy. Um, I will say this. I don't like to idolize politicians. Obviously, Malay is like the that's it's probably the coolest thing that's happened to our movement politically in a very, very long time. Um, but he's going to make mistakes or decisions that libertarians in America or even his country don't agree with. I doubt it's going to be something as big as the Paris Climate Agreement, but it's going to be something. Um, and that's just the nature of politics. However, I think he's shown to us that he is willing to um, go hard for our principles and do really difficult things. That's why people elected him. They didn't elect him to be soft. You know, they want him to be radical. That's what won. Absolutely. If you're just tuning into the Wake Up America show, good morning. I'm Austin Peterson. I'm speaking to Maggie Anders. She's been reporting on what's going on in Argentina over the last six months. She's back in the United States now and talking to us live from Atlanta, Georgia, where she's reporting on the inauguration of libertarian president Javier Malay of Argentina. If you're enjoying the content that you're hearing and watching this morning, we'd love to have you come back and join us as the show streams live every Monday through Friday from 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time. So make sure you click like and subscribe to the channel. Maggie is filling us in on all the juicy details. Now, another uh, something that you mentioned, Maggie, earlier in regards to his foreign policy, um, we're going to get in the, into the weeds just a little bit. Another criticism that has sort of been leveled at him on in regards to foreign policy is that he is very pro-United States. And when I say criticized, he's been criticized by libertarians over this. He's very pro-United States, very anti-China, very anti-Iran. There's sort of a, there's a difference between American libertarians on foreign policy and Argentinian libertarians on foreign policy, is there not? Honestly, I couldn't tell you. And I can totally get you a, a strong Argentine libertarian on here, but I would say there's a difference in general between Argentine libertarians and U.S. libertarians. Um, they're more fervent and way more economics focused in my experience. Like that is really where they turn a lot of their attention. I don't think I talk to like most people about foreign policy. That's not what they wanted to talk about. I don't think Argentina has money to participate in foreign policy. Um, I, I really don't know that it's as big of a deal as we may think it is. Um, obviously Americans are pretty triggered because we're getting ourselves involved in a ton of wars abroad, but I don't even know that that's something they're capable of right now. For sure. What do you think, Maggie, that we have to look forward to with Javier Malay? What do you, what do you think are, are going to be his first steps? I guess 
second steps because he's already shut down nine institutions or so. What do you think are going to be the next steps? What are his biggest challenges that he faces now? Right. Oh my gosh. There's so many. So he doesn't have full control over Congress and he's not a dictator, right? So one of the biggest challenges he's going to have right now is getting Congress to sign off on um, a lot of his plans, which is going to be quite difficult because there's a lot of opposition in Congress. Um, He also, I think a big thing he wants to do is get rid of the central bank. That was like a pillar of his campaign. Um, That might be difficult. Dollarization is going to be incredibly difficult. I don't think they're going to do that just yet. I think what they're going to do with the dollarization efforts in Argentina is first just open up everything so you can use whatever currency you want, Um, which, by the way, is de facto how it already is. I don't want to come on here and encourage people to go do criminal things, but everyone uses the black market to exchange money. Um, The real fraud that happens is if you go to an official exchange site, but you know, all of these things are criminalized. And so I think he wants to remove some of those barriers for people, allow them to deposit their U.S. dollars in banks, because right now everyone has them stuffed under mattresses. Um, I think he's going to start pulling back some of these um, regulations that are kind of covering up the true inflation problems. So I think he predicted 15,000% inflation Um, Like it's going to get really, really bad. It's already really bad. Um, But I think one of the biggest problems that he's going to face and that we're going to have to support him on is once he starts actually putting libertarianism into practice, into policy and removing a lot of this gunk, it's going to reveal the absolute nightmare that is the Argentine economy. And that's going to be really hard because people are going to associate that with him. And so and they're going to associate that with libertarianism. And so we have this huge battle to fight coming up to show people, yeah, this is actually what you get with Keynesian economics and social democracy. Like this is what happens. And we are trying to bring us to more freedom so that you can own businesses and export goods and trade freely with your friends and family and actually keep the profits that you're making. Um, Everyone in Argentina is taxed up and down in every possible way. I know we feel that in America. It's somehow worse. It can get worse. Um, And there's there's not much to show for it outside of a few social programs. Um, that Argentines do kind of love, but everyone in socialized countries tends to have some kind of fondness for their social programs. Um, but once all that stuff starts getting removed, it's going to show how bad things really are. And so he's going to have to keep being honest with the people, um, being upfront about why all of this stuff is happening. And hopefully the market forces will kick in and people will start growing businesses and doing all of that kind of stuff. Um, And it won't be as hard of a crash as we're predicting. Maggie, another threat to his presidency is the um, the uh, left is threatening to go into the streets and begin mass protests. Do you think that happens? Yeah, for sure. Um, 
Yeah, the leftists there are very similar to leftists here. They're actually adopting our violent tendencies. Um, right before the election, a Malay supporter, a woman about my age, was beaten up in the streets for being a Malay supporter by um, Masa supporters. It was crazy. Um, and I saw a video last night. Obviously, this is Twitter. We don't know how real everything is. But of a bottle flying right over his head. Javier Malay's head. So I do think they're importing a lot of our tactics. Um, I mean, violence and protests go hand in hand and have for a long time. Um, but I remember people being shocked by what happened to that girl uh, when I first went over there. So they are predicting that will happen. I think it's better to be safe than sorry um, and just expect the worst and hope for the best. But um what are they going to do? What are their protests going to do? He's already elected. You know, I would I would call them anti-democratic protests at this point because he's already been put in charge. Yeah, for sure. And he won by a large majority. It was it was not some small victory. No, 11 percent. That. Yeah, that's that's what we call a sweep. And he won from young people, from poor people, all of the people they say are the most negatively impacted by libertarianism and wouldn't be supportive. He won from those demographics. So yeah. it's clear that the popular support belongs to Millet. Maggie, is there anything else about this subject or perhaps anything that you would like to share with our listeners before we let you go today? Yeah, I, um, I filmed a podcast. It's on my Twitter now with a friend of mine, Eric, who was part of the Forces of Heaven which I, um, those are his supporters. That's Belay supporters. Look up the forces of heaven. It's a really cool story. Um, but we talk all about the Malay victory, why it happened, what's coming next. I think you guys will really like it. Um, also I've been retweeting a lot of Argentine Twitter accounts that I really like, and that I actually met up with. So if you guys look through those, go follow them. They're going to give you constant, up-to-date, accurate information about what's going on. So We will definitely do that. And I'd love to ask if my moderators over in the Rumble chat would drop those links for us so everybody can click over to them and follow Maggie Anders. Maggie, it's been really exciting watching your reporting down there on the front lines from Argentina. And I'm sure you're just as thrilled as everybody else is here, especially who's watching this show this morning about what's happening for libertarians, because... I think this truly is a big victory for our movement. And I just want to congratulate you for being out there and being one of the first people to call it. So kudos to you and uh, Merry Christmas. We hope you'll come back and yeah, join Merry us again Christmas. on the show soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Bye, Thanks guys. Very, Thanks very much. That's Maggie Anders. What do you guys think of Maggie? Send us a text. 573-319-1586. That's 573-319-1586. I managed to find... Javier Malay's inauguration speech. We won't be able to do the whole thing. It does have English subtitles. So I'll have to translate for those who are listening to the audio version later. Gentlemen, ministers of the court, governors, deputies, and national senators, foreign presidents and dignitaries, Argentines, a new era begins today in Argentina. Today we bring an end to a long, sad history of decline and decadence. And we begin the road to the reconstruction of our country. Beautiful. The Argentines, in a resounding manner, have expressed a desire for change 
that has no turn back. There is no turning back. Today, we bury decades of failure, different fights, and senseless disputes. Fights that the only thing that they have achieved is to destroy our beloved country and leave us in ruins. I feel like I'm going to cry. Today, a new era begins in Argentina, an era of peace and prosperity, an era of growth and development, an era of freedom and progress. 200 years ago, a group of Argentinian citizens gathered together in San Miguel de Tucumán, told the world that the United Provinces of the Rio de la Plata were no longer a Spanish colony, and that as of that historical time, we should be a free and sovereign nation. For decades, we have been engaged in internal disputes over what, about what institutional form our country needed. In 1853, after 40 years of having declared independence under the auspices of a small group of young people, idealists that today we know as the generation of 37, we decided as a people to embrace the ideas of freedom. Don't cry for Argentina, AP. <laughs> Thank you, studio. Very funny. <laughs> Thus, a liberal constitution was enacted with the goal of securing the benefits of freedom for us, for our posterity, and for all of the men of the world who wish to inhabit Argentine soil. What came after the enactment of this constitution with strong liberal roots was the most impressive economic expansion in our history. From being a country of barbarians, enraged in an all-out war, we became the world's leading power. By the be beginning of the 20th century, we were the beacon of light of the West. All right, give it up for Javier Malay. That is a 33-minute long inauguration. If you'd like to get uh, the entire speech and be able to watch it with the subtitles, I just retweeted it on my X account. So make sure you follow me over at x.com slash AP for Liberty. I'm AP for Liberty everywhere, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. But if you want to get a copy of this Javier Malay speech and watch it, watch it in its entirety, I just retweeted it from this Dutch libertarian account. So if you'd like to view that in, in its entirety, there you go. You can watch it right there. What do you think of Javier Malay, first libertarian president in world history? You love to see it. it. Makes you happy. I'm so thankful for so much this year. This has been a wonderful year for me and my family, and I think that the future is only going to get better. Um, I've got some more great clips from you uh, to talk about here on the show today. I've got to take a quick break because I've got to go use the restroom. Hope you don't mind. I've got to go pee for liberty. <laughs> I'll be right back on the Wake Up America Show at wakeupamericashow.com. Issue though, because the media has been focused on this and attacking you. Yeah. Under no circumstances, you are promising America tonight. You would never abuse power as retribution against anybody. Except for day one. Except Look, what? He's going crazy. Except for day one. Meaning? I want to close the border and I want to drill. That's drill, not a that's, drill. That's not, oh, no. that's not retribution. I got I'm going to be, I'm going to be, you know, he keeps, we love this guy. He says, you're not going to be a dictator, are you? I said, no, no, no. Other than day one, we're closing the border and we're drilling, drilling, drilling. After that, I'm not a dictator. So that, okay? that, that sounds to me like you're going back to the policies <laughs> when you were president. That's All right. exactly. <laughs> Good morning. I'm Austin Peterson. How you doing, guys? All 440 of you this morning. You guys sure are looking handsome. You look kind of cute. 
in your polka dot bikini girl welcome to the wake up america show we're glad to have you here today we're so thankful to have all of our new friends joining us this morning but we'd love it if you come back and join us again tomorrow morning and wednesday morning thursday morning friday morning we're a five day a week two hour live talk show the wake up america show and i'm your host austin peterson make sure you click like subscribe to the channel here at rumble.com thank you to rumble for featuring us on the front page you rock we love free speech we'd be glad to have you come back and join us do us a favor click like and subscribe and then join us every monday through friday seven to nine central on the wake up america show at wakeupamericashow.com all right let's get this show on the road never trumpers never learn this was a great article that i read on the wall street journal this morning their dictator talk only invites more incompetent election meddling in 2024 and beyond we've been talking this morning about free speech we've been talking about javier malay we've been talking earlier with john miltimore about the um about alex jones being reinstated on twitter.com thanks to elon musk let's hear it for free speech it feels like the good guys are winning of course the left is going to push back as hard as they can just like maggie anders and correctly noted in argentina the left is going to take to the streets the leftists the socialists they're going to try and start violence and do everything they can to stop liberty from winning and we know that they're going to pull out all the stops to stop donald trump from becoming president of the united states again next year this article that i'm reading over in the wall street journal though takes aim at a lot of the never trumpers who are trying to uh, who are trying to stop Donald Trump by claiming that he's going to be a dictator on day one, which I find it fascinating that Sean Hannity is also kind of taking up that mantle, if you will, but maybe I shouldn't. Uh, our friend Tressa Lee joining us here for the first time today. What's up, Tressa? She's a drummer chick, so she got this beat. Which beat was it that you liked, Tressa? I'm curious. And Muffinhead here joining us, Ur's mommy as well this morning. She became a monthly subscriber. Thank you to all of our monthly subscribers who help support the Wake Up America show so we can stream this live. Very briefly, I'll just tell you before we, I get to this piece from the Wall Street Journal, um, uh, is that uh, just so you know, the Wake Up America show is basically a two-person operation. It's me and my smoking hot redheaded libertarian wife who is uh, at home today. She helps me run this business. Uh, and we have the Wake Up America show as our podcast. And she joins us on the show Friday, which is she's fantastic and very funny. We, I think it was one of our highest rated shows on Friday when she was there. So let's give it up to Stephanie. And Stephanie helps run the shop. So if you ever get an email from uh, APForLibertyShop.com or if you get like a text message or some kind of marketing communication or if you see perhaps on social media when I'm advertising my products, if you see like a funny meme with like a link to a product from the shop, that's my lovely wife, Stephanie. So give it up to the best. She's the best of the best. Uh, and she does a great job helping to run the shop. So it's her and me against the world trying to grow a liberty-based uh, podcasting business and I'm grateful to her because without her, I wouldn't be able to do all of this. And of course, thanks to people like you, our supporters out there, people like Ur's mommy who joined us this morning and became a, mo a monthly subscriber. Thank you to all of our monthly subscribers. Thank you to our donors, uh, people who join, uh, who go to the AP for Liberty shop and buy our merchandise. People like you help us to keep the lights on here in the studio. So thank you very much to all of you. Never Trumpers Never Learn is the title of this piece. It's a Wall Street Journal piece by Holman Jenkins really caught my attention over the weekend because I thought it was um, very, uh, it was very relevant to what's going on uh, with Donald Trump. I see East Coast Toasty Boys here with us. What's up, Toasty Boy? Where you been this morning? You're late. 
He says, woo, Alex Jones, let's effing go. The goat is back, baby. (laughs) Should have never been gone in the first place. Am I right? So here's this article from the Wall Street Journal, because this is the new attack on Donald Trump, is that he's going to become a dictator. What about ism? Is the most piercingly stupid term in American politics, he says, cited by partisans whenever someone notices how much their behavior resembles their opponents. It also falsifies the most basic reality of organic existence. Successful behaviors will be modeled and replicated. And the Russia collusion hoax was the most astonishingly successful political innovation of our age. They call this an availability cascade. Follow with me here. Some of this is in the weeds. But this is a term that was coined by Timur Kuran and Cass Sunstein in a 1999 Law Review article, an availability cascade. That's what the Russia collusion hoax was. So the same establishment gave us a detailed forensic exposure of this hoax thanks to the Justice Department Inspector General and Special Counsel, which revealed the Russia collusion hoax for what it was. Now, a parallel of this uh, that you could look at to say, has something like the Russia collusion hoax ever happened before? It has. Some of you might be familiar with this. I've explained this, uh, the history of this to my wife, Stephanie. She's Jewish. The Protocols of the Elders of Zion. Have you ever heard of this? So the czar created this hoax called the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, and it was basically a parallel of the Russia collusion hoax created and manufactured in much the same way, a giant hoax in order or to order to go after their political enemies, right? And the Russia collusion hoax, that was directly traceable to the Hillary Clinton campaign. But what's, what's curious is that the fact that this information has it has been debunked, it hasn't changed the impact that it's had, right? There are still leftists out there who believe in the Russia collusion hoax. Bill Maher, for, for as red-pilled as he has gotten, still believes that Donald that two memes, like $300,000 worth of money paid by Russia to create two different memes that were posted on Facebook, changed the outcome of the election. That's not true. But people still believe this, Right. So conspiracy memes are basically unkillable, right? Because they operate on the least informed voter, the hardest person to get off the couch, right? But these are the voters who might decide our razor-close elections, right? People who believe the God and Jesus arm wrestling meme, click like if, you know, Donald Trump, if you're on Jesus and Trump's side, you know, click down if you are on Satan's side or ignore if you're on Satan's side or whatever it is, right? This Russia collusion hoax. But this is a powerful incentive because it's effective. The Russia collusion hoax continues. People still believe it because it is a powerful, memes are powerful. And when the left creates conspiracy theories, BS claims that Donald Trump colluded with Russia in order to overthrow American democracy, the fact that people still believe it is why the left is going to continue to do it. Right. It's they're going to continue to create their to conspire against our rights using fake attacks like the Russia collusion hoax. We should keep an eye out for for these kinds of hoaxes in the next year's coming election. Right. Be you know, if you watch the mainstream press or then any of the Sunday morning shows, which I'm sure many of you don't. And I listen, I get it right. If you listen to prominent 
pod- podcasters, there was no collusion fraud, right? And, you know, it has no bearing on their behavior. Despite dominating the news for three years, they all pretend like it didn't happen. Okay. Tom Edsel, he's a writer in the New York Times. He's, you know, he gives his left wing spin on the polls. He acknowledges that Republican voters profess to be as worried about democracy as Democrats, but he doesn't ask why. He doesn't ask why. Why? Let me ask you, don't you think that if the New York Times was concerned about saving democracy as they claim to be, and if their polls were showing that Republicans were as concerned about democracy as the left is, don't you think they would have asked the Republicans why they're concerned about democracy in the United States? They don't want to know the answer. The left doesn't want to know why Republicans are concerned about the fate of our nation, because the answers are going to be things like, well, you at the mainstream media, the left, the legacy media, you all perpetuated this conspiracy hoax, this collusion hoax for three years. And now you're all trying to pretend like it didn't happen. That's why they're concerned about the future of our country. You know, Joe Biden's allies in the process as the, you know, the Soros funded Democratic prosecutors around the country, they they know why. Republicans are concerned about democracy in the United States because they feel as if these prosecutors engage in lawfare against political opponents of the Biden regime. So there's another reason why, right? And as a matter of fact, the left, they're counting on Republican voters to remember the collusion hoax and to see the Trump criminal charges as politically motivated because otherwise it might spoil Mr. Biden's reelection strategy which requires Trump to be the GOP nominee. It is true, I believe, that the left wants largely, the left largely wants Donald Trump to be the nominee as well because they love to hate him. They love to hate him and because the lamestream media make more money when Donald Trump is president than when he's not. See, they had to create him as a boogeyman in the first two, three years of Biden's presidency when Trump was mostly sort of laying back and and not being uh, as uh, in the public eye as he was when he was president, they had to prop him up as a villain in order to continue to make money because the press makes so much money. It's kind of like when Donald Trump, before he was ever really a political figure, when he was just a celebrity figure, he was always on the front page of the tabloids for a good reason, because it sold more papers. And he's still selling subscriptions and news and content uh, uh, for the mainstream media, or let's call them the lamestream media or the legacy media, for, for example, right? And this is a really important point from this piece, which I, I would urge you to really lean in and to turn up your volumes and to burn this next part into your brain, because I just ordered this book this week because of this article. This is a new book from a Georgetown University scholar, uh, and he's a former CIA analyst named John Gentry. It's called Neutering the CIA. Uh, and he describes how James Clapper and John Brennan used diversity as a screen to fill the intelligence community with partisan Obama allies. So what are we talking about here? These diversity, equity, inclusion standards that are being pushed by Obama and his allies in the left is not a means to try and do good for minorities. It's about putting their own allies into these deep state institutions. Only a psychiatrist can explain the media's silence 
on the biggest resulting disaster, the fake, quote, Russian intelligence supplied by the CIA and the FBI used to justify their unorthodox actions in the Hillary Clinton email case, now widely understood to have inadvertently delivered Mr. Trump to the White House in 2016. Now, in some sense, this accident is already starting to replay itself in 2024. The exhibit is the Kagan essay, essay in, the, um, in the Washington Post. So this, um, this is not uh, Justice Kagan, but this is John Kagan. I'm not sure if I have this name correct. Correct me if I'm wrong on this one. So this is an essay that came out in the Washington Post. It's a 6,000-word argument that's trying to, to figure out how Trump, with his limited appeal to an uninfluential base, they claim, checks and balances, a mobilized opposition, controlling almost every establishment institution, is supposed to make himself a dictator. So this is a 6,000-word essay in the Washington Post that's making the case for why Donald Trump is going to become a dictator. So despite the fact that the entire media is against him, every institution that Donald Trump doesn't control is against him. Um, he, uh, they're claiming that his base is uninfluential, that MAGA people are uninfluential, and that we still have checks and balances in this country, but somehow he's going to become a dictator, right? When, say, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, right, who had the most powerful electoral coalition history, a 75% approval rating, and a world war to fight, didn't become a dictator. Or did he? For some of those, those of us who are in the, uh, uh, for those of us who actually, you know, know a thing or two about FDR, he actually kind of, I would say, kind of did become the dictator. <laughs> so Mr. Kagan in this piece in the Wall Street, in the Washington Post, he's kind of replicating the strategy of the last eight years. Donald Trump is so bad that we have to lie about him. The lies are so obvious and easily discovered, though, that they end up validating Mr. Trump's critique of the establishment and win him more voters. In fact, the only way to not see Mr. Kagan as dotty is to assume he's deliberately trying to justify civil disorder and unconstitutional resistance when Mr. Trump is elected. And that, I think, is the, is the point. The left is trying to claim that Donald Trump is a, will become a dictator if he, if he becomes democratically elected. And thus, he is trying to justify the, the violence that the left will engage in if Donald Trump becomes president. Remember what happened in the Black Lives Matter riots of 2020 and 2021? We know that the left is willing to use violence to try and bring about political change, that they are, in fact, terrorists that will use violence in order to try and disrupt our civil order here in this country. But I wonder what your thoughts are on this uh, are as well. You can send us a text at 573-319-1586. That's 573-319-1586. What's interesting about this Washington Post piece by uh, Kagan, where he's claiming Trump's going to be a dictator, is that the wall, the, they actually wrote a piece critiquing his piece so in, in, the, um, in the paper, uh, and they gave the actual context of all of the quips, Donald Trump quips, that they were playing, that that Mr. Kagan had posted, the the Wall the Washington Post actually uh, corrected many of the or gave context essentially to what Donald Trump was saying that they were claiming he's going to become a dictator on. Right? Maybe Democrats are actually starting to learn. Right? Maybe they're realizing that all this dictator talk isn't helping them. Right? 
you know, uh, you know, Joe Biden's polls are sagging. They're they're probably realizing that they have to change strategy. Maybe Trump opponents are finally starting to wise up to their self-defeating tactics. We hope not, right? Right. Seeing the ex-president for what he is, but knowing something about dictators, the former CIA analyst Martin Gurry writes, "Relax. Trump is too old, too isolated, and too ADD to have a shot at dictatorship. And if he tried, the result would be comedy rather than tyranny." Now, this is a point of opinion of this Wall Street Journal article host. He says, a second Trump, in my view, he says, would be useless for America. His opponents, as I've been pointing out since 2016, are nonetheless working hard to make it happen. Interesting. I'd love to hear your thoughts about that one. I don't agree with that last part. I actually think that a um, Donald Trump uh, re-election would be good for America. Do you agree? Or are you disagree? You can let me know. Hotwater84 says FDR was a true racist POS. Very true. Oh, Fook says Pepperidge Farm remembers Trump is a sullen figure. They fear he will have the support to actually restore American values. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Have you guys been following what's been going on with uh, universities in the United States, specifically regarding Harvard, Harvard University? Was it the head of Harvard University who had to step down? I'm forgetting um, off the top of my head. Fareed Zakaria from CNN actually had a moment of clarity. Maybe the left is starting to learn their lessons. We hope that they don't because we need to win the election next year. But I thought this was fascinating where Fareed actually says that maybe the universities need to back off of the politics a little bit. Take a listen to this. Here's my take. When one thinks of America's greatest strengths, the kind of assets the world looks at with admiration and envy, America's elite universities would long have been at the top of that list. But the American public has been losing faith in these universities for good reason. Yes. Three university presidents came under fire this week for their vague and indecisive answers when asked whether calling for the genocide of Jews would violate their institution's codes of conduct. But to understand their performance, we have to understand the broad shift that has taken place at elite universities, which have gone from being centers of excellence to institutions pushing political agendas. People sense the transformation. As Paul Tuff has pointed out, the share of young adults who said a college degree was very important fell from 74% in 2013 to just 41% in 2019. Oh, yes. And that's not just because of the politics on campus. It has a lot to do with the fact that a lot of these degrees are useless and young people are waking up and getting the message that they're better off getting themselves a skilled trade than they are in going to these universities where they're going to be told they're racist, sexist, misogynist, hateful, homophobic, Islamophobic, whatever. But it's okay to be anti-Semitic. It's okay to hate Jews and white people and Asians. 61% of those polls said higher education was headed in the wrong direction, and only 38% felt it was on the right track. In 2016, 70% of America's high school graduates were headed for college. Now that number is 62%. This souring on higher education makes America an outlier among all advanced nations. American universities have been neglecting a core focus on excellence in order to pursue a variety of agendas. Exactly. No, Fareed. No, no. Many of them clustered around diversity and inclusion. It started with the best of intentions. Colleges wanted to make sure young people of all backgrounds had access to higher education and felt comfortable on campus. But those good intentions have morphed into a dogmatic ideology and turned these universities into places 
where the pervasive goals are political and social engineering. Dang, dude, this is CNN. What is happening? This is Fareed Zakari of CNN. You know that they that they know that they messed up when they're giving these kinds of speeches on CNN. I'm telling you, Ur's mommy, she's got it right. She says, go to trade school. Colleges are poison now. So true. Cheeky. Hey, Cheeky. Nice to see you again. We missed you. She says, we are desperate for skilled welders and machinists who can actually think and read print. Learn a trade. God bless you. Yes, Cheeky. Can you believe that we're hearing this speech on CNN? Not academic merit. As the evidence produced for the recent Supreme Court case on affirmative action showed, universities have systematically downplayed merit-based criteria for admissions in favor of racial quota. Some universities' response to this ruling seems to be that they will go further down this path, eliminating the requirement for any standardized tests like the SAT. That move would allow them to then take students with little reference to objective criteria. Of course, those who would suffer most would be bright students from poor backgrounds who normally use tests like the SAT to demonstrate their qualification. In the humanities, hiring for new academic positions now appears to center on the race and gender of the applicant, as well as the subject matter, which needs to be about marginalized groups. A white man studying the American presidency does not have a prayer of getting tenure at a major history department in America today. Whoa, whoa, what? Back that up. Can you hear, if you were, if you were tuning in, in case you were tuning out, tune back in. I want to hear that, I want to hear this non-white man saying something nice about white men, or let's see, at least, at least not saying something nice, but like, making an objective statement about the plight of white males in American academia. I got I to gotta hear that again. ...on the race and gender of the applicant, as well as the subject matter, which needs to be about marginalized groups. A white man studying the American presidency does not have a prayer of getting tenure at a major history department in America today. Jesus, Sage, what is going on over there at CNN? Based in Red Pilled? Hell grade no. Inflation in the humanities is rampant. At Yale, the median grade is now an A. New subjects crop up that are really political agendas, not academic fields. You can now major in diversity, equity, and inclusion at some colleges. <laughs> the ever-growing bureaucracy devoted to diversity, equity, and inclusion naturally recommends that more time and energy be spent on these issues. The most sure obvious does. lack of diversity at universities, political diversity, which clearly affects their ability to analyze many issues, is never addressed, showing that these goals are not centrally related to achieving or sustaining or building excellence. Out of this culture of diversity has grown the collection of ideas and practices that we have now all heard of. Safe spaces, trigger warnings, microaggressions. As the authors Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff have discussed, many of these colleges have instituted speech codes that make it a violation of university rules. He's quoting Greg Lukianoff and Jonathan Haidt. What? the hell is going on somebody's getting fired at cnn it, by the way that book if you haven't read it yet get it it's a it's amazing the coddling of the american mind by greg lukianoff and jonathan hates a terrific book and it's a qu pretty quick read get yourself a copy of that uh for christmas at amazon.com absolutely terrific i do want to continue this 
But before we go, I do want to remind you that the Wake Up America show is brought to you in part by our friends at Lear Capital. I'm a big fan of gold and silver. I recommend Lear Capital to my family and to my friends. So, you know, I trust them because I would never destroy my relationship, my personal relationships by recommending a company that would not take good care of them. If you're interested in buying gold or silver, it's a great time to do so. I've got a $500 account credit to get you started gold reaching all time highs. And there's a good reason for that. Get yourself a bar or two or a gold coin or two to get your Christmas started off right. I've got that phone number for you. Write that down because you want to give them a call today to get the $500 account credit. Some of you I know are terrified of speaking to a human being on the phone. That's why I set up the website, learaustin.com. Sign up for a free gold and silver information packet today, or as soon as the show is over, they'll send you a gold and silver information packet to explain how you can invest in gold and silver. It's totally free if you go to learaustin.com. But if you're interested in buying gold today, give them a call because you don't have to spend money today, but they'll put that $500 account credit in there for you. But you have to call the number to get the account credit. 1-800-885-2175. That's 1-800-885-2175. Oh God, I got to dance. There you go, guys. All right. Thank you very much. And thank you to go to Lear Capital for sponsoring the Wake Up America show. Let's continue this for read piece before to we go today. Things that some groups might find offensive. Universities advise students not to speak, act, even dress in ways that might cause offense to some minority groups. With this yes. culture of virtue signaling growing, the George Floyd protests erupted and many universities latched on and issued statements effectively aligning their institutions with these protests. By my memory, Few took such steps even after 9-11 or during the Iraq war. In this context, it is understandable that Jewish groups would wonder, why do safe spaces, microaggressions, and hate speech not apply to us? If universities can take positions against free speech to make some groups feel safe, why not us? Having called yeah, no so kidding. many student groups for so long, university administrators found themselves squirming, unable to explain why certain groups, Jews, Asians, don't seem to count in these conversations. Yeah, can you believe that that was on CNN? I just retweeted it. So if you want to see that full Fareed Zakaria clip, you can go to my Twitter account or x.com account, AP number four, AP for Liberty. Make sure you check that out over at AP, the number four, AP for Liberty. Did you guys enjoy the show today? Tressa Lino, you're adorable. Hey, Tressa, can we see you again back here tomorrow morning? We stream the show five days a week, Monday through Friday, 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time. Coming now up on the end of the show. I know, I know. But the good news is, is we'll be back. And Tuesdays are fun because that's when we get Camelia Peterson on the show. She does her regular twice a week appearance. If you haven't seen her before, and I know many of you, it'll be your first time seeing her. She's awesome. She's a great guest. She joins us Tuesdays and Thursdays. Wednesdays, we got Judge Andrew Napolitano. Thursdays are usually Thirsty Thursday when we get the Ladies of Liberty. Camellia comes back. We get Daniela Pensack and usually some other smoking hot <laughs> libertarian lady. We love to hear from the ladies on this show. And, of course, on Friday, the smokingest, hottest of them all, my redheaded libertarian wife, joins us on the show. It's always fun. Last Friday's show was, like, killer. We, like, got, like, more views than almost any other show we've done. Um, don't forget, to as we leave the show, would you do me a favor and just browse AP for libertyshop.com. Now I know for Ur's, for Ur's, to Ur is human, Ur's mommy, she hasn't texted me yet to get her 20% discount. If you're a monthly subscriber to the show, if you do a monthly donation, 
you get that 20% discount. So make sure you head over to ap4libertyshop.com. Check out all the awesome guns. You could get a Now I Have a Machine Gun sweater from the movie Die Hard for 20% off if you're a monthly subscriber, right? Somebody actually ordered our silky orange Trumpy Buddha. So I got to go home and print one of these today from my 3D printer. We've got 3D printed items. We've got delicious founding flavors coffee. My favorite is Thomas's Painkiller. Washington's Revolutionary Roast. Look at these. Verified independent reviews. Five stars. Five stars. 4.7. 4.9. Five stars. Five stars. And Martha's Mint, by the way, it's going away. So it'll be gone at the end of the month, right? No more uh, Martha's Mint after Christmas. So make sure you stock up. Go to ap4libertyshop.com. If you bundle, if you buy more than one bag, you get a discount. Or you can subscribe. If you're, a, if you're a coffee subscriber, you also get the 20% discount at the shop. So subscribe for monthly deliveries, bi-weekly deliveries at apforlibertyshop.com. We've got so much fun stuff over at apforlibertyshop.com. Our holiday collection, selling like mad. Less government, more cookies, oven mitts. Less government, more cookies. My lovely wife, she, she designed that. Check it out at AP, the number four, apforlibertyshop.com. Looks like we got to go, even though there's 538 people. I know I'm sad. But frankly, I'm out of gas. I'm, I'm tired. I know. I know. Come on, guys. Give me a break. I will be back tomorrow. Thank you very much to Rumble.com for featuring us on the front page. Thank you to Elon Musk for allowing uh, Alex Jones back on the platform. Free speech is winning the day. Javier Malay is the president of Argentina. Donald Trump's going to win the presidency next year. There's lots of reasons to be happy and excited. Liberty is winning. We'll see you here tomorrow on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Don't forget, click that subscribe button before you leave. See you tomorrow. Expansive time.